Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is sponsored by Third Love. Bra shopping is a drag, but what if you could skip all the hassle and find a perfect fitting bra in minutes? Check out Third Love. Their Fit Finder quiz recommends the bra that's right for your size and shape. Now you can try one of their bras free for 30 days. Just pay $2.99 for shipping. Go to thirdlove.com slash books to find your perfect fitting bra and try it for 30 days for free. Thirdlove.com slash books. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 128, and today we are talking about books being released on October 10th, 2017, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with my fellow podcast, Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hey, hey, you know, I've been thinking I might be able to just be your fellow well-redhead again. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm. We, we're not really mermaids anymore. Are you still a mermaid? I'm not I a mermaid have a little, anymore. I have a little pink that I've just like been growing out, and I get my hair cut a little bit, and a little more goes away, and it's just. I'm know. doing like uh, purpley brownish roots and mostly red in my hair these days. Well, we can be podcat redheads. It's yeah. cool. Well, now that there's going to be three of you, you're all just my pod wives. I know. <laughs> it's funny because like I think you and I and Jen and Amanda get like because our show titles are similar between all the books and get booked and there is overlap in our reading and we're all kind of in the same circles on the internet like people get us confused really easily and I understand how it happens but like I get messages from people who want to know things about books that you recommended and you get messages about things that I recommended and Amanda and Jen get things. And it's just going to be even more confusing yeah. and hilarious once they start hanging out on here with you in November too. And sometimes I'm like, did I talk about this book? And I just don't remember. <laughs> I like, know it's, it's like, did I, I, so, I mean, I have had like fugue states on podcasts where I said things I don't remember saying. Yeah. So and I'm getting it's old. It's possible. And I got some really sweet messages from some of you guys um, about me being gone. So I just want to make sure it was clear. Like, I'm not going to be off the show. I'm going to be here twice a month starting in November. And then Jen will be taking one and Amanda will be taking one um, so that I can spend some more time working on other things, namely uh, research for a new season of Annotated. Nice. Yes. So we'll um, still be together. I, we, we can fire up our... Al Green, let's stay together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Forever. Um, before before we start, I have to do one thing. Okay. <sighs> you I'm had really a, a late sorry. night last night. Oh my goodness, I'm so old, but it was so worth it. Like, 20 years ago, I made a list of bands that I want to see in concert, and last night, I checked off the last band on my list. It was Modest Mouse, and it was amazing. It was so much fun, and I want to have a million of his babies in a totally consensual way, and... <laughs> I've just loved it, but I'm so old. Oh, I'm so tired. I know. I was up until midnight one night a couple weeks ago, and I was like, what is this? Yeah. So I can't imagine how you're doing. Yeah, it's just... And then I came home, and they're doing construction outside my house at night, which has been going on since August 13th. So Ugh. I basically go to bed at like 5 or 6 in the morning, 
No, instead oh, of like two or three. <laughs> so I got I got a lot of TV in, and I know we're supposed to talk about books, but quickly let's just discuss because I don't think we've discussed it on the show. Oh, our love for the good place. Oh, the good place. That show is so funny. I can't even handle it. I laughed so hard the other night. I woke my boyfriend up, and like he can sleep through anything, including night construction. But oh, I just... it's so funny. And I think I would have missed it if not for Book Riot people. Like a month or so ago, Amanda and I were having a hangout night and we asked some Book Riot insiders, like, what should we, we just want to binge watch something silly. What should we watch? And people said The Good Place. So we watched, I think, three or four episodes in one evening. And then I I just burned through the rest of them. And then the new season has started. But uh, for people who like don't believe that we're really as good of friends in real life as we are on the show. Like we, we routinely text each other, like out of completely out of context quotes from the good place. So like yesterday morning, Liberty woke up to a text from me that just said a little bit chowder. Now (laughs) the puns, the puns just kill me. It's so great. So great. I've watched the first season five times. I've watched the whole first season five (laughs) times and each of the new episodes, there's three so far. I've watched each of them three times. There are some really good surprises in the plot of the show. And I think we've talked before about, like, I'm pretty gullible when I'm reading a mystery. Like, I'm I'm always surprised by... Really? By what happens. Um, But I am usually with TV... I know before a big thing occurs, like, oh, this is foreshadowing for this thing. Um, and there have only been a couple shows that have really, like, tripped me up or, I, you know, Mad Men kept me guessing and Breaking Bad kept me guessing until the very end. Um, but there have been some really good surprises on The Good Place. Yeah. And it's really smart. Like, it's a really smart, clever half-hour comedy. And there are just, you're right, excellent puns. Yeah. I watched the whole first season by myself and then watched it again with with Pete and like had to leave the room a couple times because I was so excited for him to find out things that I had to leave the room because I knew he was gonna know that something was up because I was like so so good so good all right speaking of so good let me tell you about some books yes my first pick is the invisible life of Eurydice Guzmao Hope I'm saying that right. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of help on how to pronounce Guzmao on the internet. So um, it's by Marta Batala and it's translated by Eric Becker. Um, it's about uh, Eurydice, who is a young, beautiful woman living in 1940s Rio de Janeiro. Um, she has an, a sister who is a bit wild and rebellious, and she elopes and runs off and does the things that you're not supposed to do when you're a young woman in Brazil in the 1940s. So Eurydice feels guilty, and she feels like she needs to be a dutiful daughter, especially because of what happened with her sister. So she marries this schlub who is just... I can't really tell you what's wrong with him without kind of ruining some of the story. So he's just... He sucks, basically. Um, he, he's just a bossy husband and she feels like, well, this is, you know, what happens. You, you're a woman and you get married and you do these things. So she, you know, marries this guy. She does what's expected of her. She's a model wife. She has two kids, like one right after the other. Uh, and she's miserable. She's absolutely miserable. Her husband's business is taking off and things are going really well for them, but she's really, really unhappy. So she decides to start cooking. And she discovers that she loves to cook. And she starts making these amazing meals. And her children are like, gross, we just want a steak. And her husband's like, I just want my regular stuff. And, you know, nobody appreciates it. And she starts coming up with her own recipes. And she writes this this recipe book. And she's really proud of it. And, you know, her husband's like, 
you're just a housewife. Nobody's going to listen to you. You know, so she, she gives it up. So then she mm. finds out that she's really good at sewing. She becomes a seamstress, and everybody wants her to make them things. And again, same deal. Like, you're a housewife. Like, get real. You know, you'll never be anything. You know, but then her sister shows up. Her sister, who had run away, shows up on her doorstep with her son. She's had has this terrible tale of woe and you know from her marriage, and and Eurydice takes her in, and it becomes a story about two amazing women and you know the things that life throws at them and how they handle them together. Um, it's a really delightful and funny novel f- about basically about a serious subject. It's about women's bodies. It's about you know, how they are used and how they are viewed and the projections put upon them and how women feel about themselves because of these projections and expectations. Um, it's serious and funny at the same time. The, the writing style kind of reminded me of um, A Man Called Ove, like very dark humor, but also, you know, very funny and lots of quirky characters. It's just, it's an absolute delight, really. Um, it's again called The Invisible Life of Eurydice Guzmao, and it's by Marta Batala and translated by Eric Becker. Whew, that has a lot going on. It's a lot of words. Yeah, my first one also gave me a lot of feelings, but it's like the most predictable thing to ever give me a lot of feelings. It's called <laughs> Devotions, the selected poems of Mary Oliver. Um, I have gotten a lot of messages from a lot of y'all over the last few months since I've talked about Mary Oliver like all year long and my Instagram feed is routinely full of quotes from her. Um, about where to start. So if that is where you are, you've never read Mary Oliver, this is a wonderful, beautiful place to start. Uh, Devotions presents a little bit more than 200 of her poems um, from the very first collection that she wrote called No Voyage and Other Poems, which came out in 1963 when she was 28 years old. And it's like, Mary Oliver is bonkers, insightful, and her writing is just beautiful. Uh, And to think that that collection of poetry came out from a 28-year-old, it blows my mind. But it comes all the way up through her most recent collection of poems, which is called Felicity, which came out a couple of years ago, and it's out in paperback now. What makes this different from like New and Selected Poems of Mary Oliver, which is another one of hers that I've read, there are a couple volumes of that one, it's also good, is that Mary Oliver herself selected and arranged these 200-ish poems. Um, It's not comprehensive, but the word that keeps coming up in the synopsis of the the book and that I think is accurate is that it's definitive. Um, You can pick this up. It starts with the recent poems and works its way backwards, uh, which often they start with newer collections, you know, poems from uh, older collections and work forwards. So that's interesting that you're reading the most recent work and going backwards. Um, But it gives you a really good snapshot of what Mel- what Mary Oliver does. She writes about nature, uh, living in the f- living in the world, the physical world, being both um, the world you know outside that we can see and touch and smell, but also li- what it is to live in a body in this world. And it sort of has beautiful like mindfulness elements to it. It's just very calming. Um, I have turned to Mary Oliver in my sort of dark nights of the soul about what the world looks like these days. It's a lovely reminder of where to find beauty, both in poetry and it's a nice reminder to like step outside, take a deep breath, look at the sky, put your face in a bed of flowers and enjoy what that smells like. Um, I just really, really connect with the way that she sees the world and the way that she invites readers to consider that 
as well. So I think it's really special to get a collection that she has selected herself as the sort of the defining poems of her career. There are many, many, many poems uh, that she has written. And so for her to select 200, like this is just a sliver, this book of her life's body of work so far. But it's a really wonderful place to start. The only thing it doesn't have that I wish it had and it would make it a totally different book is annotations or some essays from her about this work. Um, But they do also tell an interesting story themselves. So whether you are a longtime Mary Oliver fan, the book is beautiful um, itself, and I've added it to my poetry shelf in my house, or you're brand new to reading poetry or to reading Mary Oliver. Um, She's a really accessible place to start reading poetry, if that's a thing you're trying to do as well. Um, I think this is a great collection for just about anyone. Also, it would be a lovely holiday gift. So as we roll into that season, and you're going to probably hear us make more of those suggestions on the show. I think this would be a really lovely gift for the nature lover in your life. Again, it's called the Devotions, the Selected Poems of Mary Oliver. Probably the most like stereotypical for me way to lead off an episode of all the books, but it's a great collection and I can't recommend it enough. So Lib, now would you like to hear about our first sponsor? Of course I would. Don't right, be ridiculous. Sponsored. What? Don't be ridiculous. Don't be ridiculous. Are you channeling your Dracula here for Halloween? No, I was hoping it was my balcony, but I guess not. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to have to work on my (laughs) meposian. I have not been uh, watching Perfect Strangers, so that was not my first reference. I'm at the end of the fifth season, I think. Two more to go. I'll just call you Cousin Liberty. (laughs) Funny. All right. Anyway, back to our first sponsor. (laughs) This week, we're sponsored by Overdrive and their new app, Libby. September is library card sign-up month. October apparently is too, because we're talking about it today. (laughs) In addition to great community programs and tools that libraries have always offered, a library card allows you to get 24-7 access to eBooks and digital audiobooks through Libby, which is Overdrive's new one-tap reading app. You simply download the free app, you put in your library card number, and you'll be instantly connected to thousands of books on your smartphone or tablet. So visit meet.libbyapp, that's L-I-B-B-Y-A-P-P, Dot com for more information and be sure to sign up for a library card today if you don't already have one. Every day should be library card sign up day, I think. Um, if you are into ebooks or using your library, or maybe you were frustrated with previous attempts to borrow ebooks from your library, I have heard nothing but great things from library users about the new Libby app and how easy it is like one tap to borrow a book, one tap to read, one tap to return it. So definitely give that a shot or another shot. Uh, if you're returning for a second try, you can do that again at meet, that's M-E-E-T, dot Libbyapp, L-I-B-B-Y-A-P-P, dot com for more info and sign up for your library card, people. Oh, it's me. It is you. I was drinking. You've got the power, literally. I was drinking my Red Bull. <laughs> I know. I've had that snap song stuck in my head for like five days now. But I'm not. So tell me about this book. The power. It's everywhere. Everybody's talking about it. It won the Women's Prize for Fiction. I think. I think it did. Now that I'm saying that, I don't actually know, but I'm pretty sure it did. And it's The Power by Naomi Alderman. It's pretty awesome. It's a dystopia about what the world would look like uh, if women had the power instead of ah. instead of men. And, like, literally, like, the power because a dormant ability 
uh, long held back. Obviously, that's what dormant means. <laughs> just gonna explain my own sentences. Um, suddenly comes alive in young girls, and they have now have the ability to shoot electricity out of their fingers. Like, it's literally Ooh. the power. They have the power. It starts working in teen girls, and they can bring this power alive in older women, and it's completely bonkers. And now, like, women can defend themselves. They can break free from oppression, and it leads to revolutions all across the world. Um, but, you know, with great power comes great responsibility, and also power has the ability to corrupt, and change is violent, you know? People aren't mm -hmm. excited, and by people I mean men. Um, they're not, not all of them are really happy about the shift in the balance, you know? It's, but it's a really exciting and inventive novel. Um, there's that Handmaid's Tale quote, like, oh, what is it? Like, better never means better for everyone or something. Um, you know, so things are better for women, but, you know, there are oh, some, Oh, yeah, you know, okay, like a zero-sum game. Yeah, so it's... But it's it's just a really interesting look at the dynamics of gender and power and violence. Um, of course, there are trigger warnings. You know, this is about women and struggle, so there are some scenes of rape and assault in the book. But it's it's you know a really interesting concept, and I really dug it. Again, it's called The cool. Power, and it's by Naomi Alderman. I'm happy about how you're pulling the, like, angry feminist book wagon this week. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to. It just happened. It's great. Um, my next pick this week is a memoir. It came out in paperback last week, and I didn't get to it in time to talk about it on the show. So doing it today, catching up. It's called Letters to a Young Chef by Daniel Belude. Um, If you follow the food world at all, you have heard his name. He is a very well-known uh, French-trained chef. He was the executive chef at Le Cirque in New York. He opened some top restaurants uh, in New York as well, um, including one called Cafe Balloud, and there's an, another one I can't remember, and there's one called Daniel. Uh, so he lives and works in New York City, which is one of the most competitive food environments in the country. Um, and this is like part food memoir, but mostly chef memoir, which those are different things. Um, and it's also, it really is kind of letters to a young chef. Like this is not a correspondence that he had with someone who wants to be a chef truly in the vein of uh, Rainer Maria Rilke writing letters to a young writer. But it is it is written with the idea that the person reading the book very well might be interested in becoming a chef. So you need to care about the restaurant business or find that interesting um, in order for this to be good for you. I really love it. Um, I, I love a good food memoir and a chef memoir. It's not like, it's a little more towards the like Eric repair end of things than it is to say like, Anthony Bourdain or Kitchen Confidential, something like that. But I really like it. This this man's just scion of American food. And so he is talking, well, American cooking culture, but French food. Um, but he talks about like, so are you sure you really want to be a chef? Here are some things that you need to know about the restaurant business. These are lessons that I have learned about being in a kitchen. Um, and if you know anything about the restaurant business, kitchens are very hierarchical and very structured, and you often have to start your way at the start at the bottom and work your way up. So there's a lot of stuff built into about sort of you know being willing to pay your dues, knowing your place. Um, let me open to the table of contents. There is stuff about 
how to cook. So there are recipes in the book. There's stuff about flavor and about wine and pastries. And there's also stuff about like, there's a whole chapter called Attitude and Teamwork and one called Some Elements of Success. Um, So you get a little bit of everything from this very successful um, chef's life, but also a restaurateur and a business owner and all of the sort of pieces and skills that you have to have in your arsenal to be able to do that successfully. Um, this is a, it's an updated edition of the book. Um, as I said, it came out in paperback last week. I really enjoyed it. Um, the more that I read about restaurants, like the less and less I ever want to work in one, but I find it really fascinating. Um, and this was cool to read just, you know, another perspective that I hadn't encountered before. So again, it's Letters to a Young Chef by Daniel Balud, and it is out in paperback now. Are you excited for the Sweet Bitter show? I am. Like, I think, well, I think I am. I'm nervous because the book just did such a good job of bringing to life that, like, that weird dysfunctional family dynamic that happens when you work in a in a place like a restaurant or like a coffee shop or something that's really close environment. Everybody's all up in everybody else's business and the character, um, the main character, I can't remember her name now, who's like just young and finding her way in the big city and making bad decisions. Like so much of that is about what happens in her head that um, I'm a little nervous about seeing it translated to the screen, but I'm going to watch it for sure. Me too. Yeah. For sure. So, my next pick is called Sparrow, and it's by Sarah Moon, and I will be 100% honest, I read this book because I found out that the author is the daughter of Amy Bloom, who is amazing, and she has a new book coming out next year, and I'm so excited, but this is her daughter's book. Again, it's called Sparrow, and it is just a really powerful and lovely young adult novel. Um, Sparrow is a young girl. She's in the eighth grade. And when it opens, she is in the hospital because they found her up on the roof and uh, the of the school. And they said that, you know, she was going to jump. Um, they were worried that she was a- attempting suicide. So they bring her to the hospital and her mother is like, she's never done anything like this. And, you know, I had no indication and I don't understand. And Sparrow doesn't want to talk about what was happening up on the roof. Um, so they, So she agrees to go to a therapist and she gets to go home. And, you know, she starts, she starts talking to, well, not even talking to her therapist. She, like, starts listening to her therapist. But we learn a little bit about Sparrow's life. Her mother is a very strong, independent, single mom. She always has been. She didn't want a husband. She just wanted a baby. So, you know, she was inseminated and had, had Sparrow all on her own. And, you know, Sparrow's kind of shy. And she doesn't have a lot of friends. But when she started fifth grade... She met the school librarian, Mrs. Wexler, who was super cool, this cool lady with, like, all these earrings, and she had great taste in books, and she started a book club for Sparrow and a bunch of other kids that didn't really feel like sitting in the lunchroom. Um, She gets teased, Sparrow gets teased a lot. They call her Oreo because she's mixed race, so she hates that, obviously. Who wouldn't? And, you know, she spends her time hiding out in the library. Um, and so she's like really close with Mrs. Wexler and she gets to meet these cool kids and and have this book group. Um, and then when she's in the eighth grade, Mrs. Wexler is struck and killed, um, in a hit and run while she's walking to school. And, you know, Sparrow is devastated. And so now like she's, it's a few weeks after this has happened and she's at the therapist with, and she likes her therapist a lot. She's like a cool, funky lady with tattoos and her name is Dr. Katz and, She can't really get Sparrow to talk, so instead she plays her music. She plays her the Pixies and Sonic Youth and the White Stripes and all this angry music, and Sparrow is really into it. 
Um, and, and she's feeling better, you know, she's still not opening up about what's going on, but she's feeling better. Um, but she's failing school. Like she went from being like an amazing student to, you know, not participating now. Um, and she knows that she's going to have to eventually tell people what she was doing up on the roof if she doesn't want, you know, to have to go back to the hospital and she gets, she wants to be able to do the things that she wants, like go to camp and, you know, go to high school. So it's just, it's very sad. Like, I cried at the beginning and I cried at the end. It's very sad. But she does, like, this amazing job, you know, of, like, what it's like to be a teenager when you have all these feelings and you don't really understand them. And people are, like, sort of trying, like, the adults, you know, think they know what, what you're doing or what you're thinking. And, and it's not, but you can't really explain yourself. And it's just a whole m mixture of emotions and everybody's all confused and, and distraught. Um, and it's, it's just really, really good. So, there's another book with Sparrow in the title that is amazing. Apparently, you just need to use the word Sparrow, and you get a good book. So, it's... Mary Doria Russell figured it out first. Yeah. So, again, it's called Sparrow, and it's by Sarah Moon. All right. Still you, lady. Tell me about our next sponsor. Yes. Our next sponsor is Life Detonated by Kathleen Murray Moran. It's the gripping true story of Kathy Murray, a young mother whose life was changed on September 11th, 1976, when her husband, an NYPD bomb disposal expert, was killed by a terrorist bomb. It details her journey out of poverty and her own determination to take care of her two young sons as she starts over. And it, Kathleen's advocacy work follow, following Brian's death, um, it discusses that. She is one of the founders of Survivors of the Shield, and she talks about her childhood journey out of poverty um, when she lived in the Bronx and learning to rebuild and forge on after tragedy and the correspondence between her and one of the hijackers. So that is coming out from Amberjack Publishing. And again, it is called Life Detonated by Kathleen Marie Moran. All right. Uh, my next pick this week is one in the great trend that I am just loving so much lately of nonfiction that brings out like major contributions that women made to huge historic moments that we just didn't know about before. Um, it's called Code Girls, The Untold Story of the American Women Codebreakers of World War II. So that subtitle like kind of tells you everything that you need to know. Um, if you liked hidden figures or things in that vein, this is a book for you. It's about the women. There were more than 10,000 of them who were recruited from elite colleges during World War II into the the army and Navy to serve as code breakers. Um, the men were off fighting at the front and these women were moved to Washington and taught how to break codes. And it's just bonkers fascinating. Of course, like code breaking was a huge part of that war. And so the work that these women did helped us end the war sooner. It helped us, you know, save lives and prevent deaths. And it also, I think most importantly, gave these women access to a world they would have never had access to uh, before and a, a step up into other kinds of careers and other work that they could do. Like, you don't go break codes in World War II and then just, like, not care about contributing something in the future. So kind of the trajectory that these women's lives follow is really interesting. Um, but we didn't know about this because they were made to take a vow of secrecy and they couldn't talk about it. So nobody knew. So no one was writing about it. So these women don't get talked about in our history books. And now the story is coming out thanks to Liza Mundy, who did just 
what I imagine to be like a bananas amount of research um, to find these women, to understand their stories. She did a lot of interviews with this, the women who are still alive from the Code Girls. And it's it's incredible that, you know, that was like any war is it's a scary time in history and things were very uncertain. And these women took a great risk by moving to a new city and learning to do a thing that they had never known how to do. And they contributed to some really amazing accomplishments, not just in the war effort, but in science and showed a lot of courage. It's really inspiring. It's a reminder that um, I kind of, you know, like that behind every great man is a great woman who's working twice as hard or the Ginger Rogers, like who's doing it um, backwards and in high heels kind of situation. Um, It's really, I think, awesome to be getting more of these stories now. And this is a great addition to that trend. So again, it's called Code Girls, The Untold Story of the American Women Codebreakers of World War II. It's by Liza Mundy. And I don't have a segue at all. Okay. Not even close. It's it's the last segment. Just bring us (laughs) home. My last pick is Forest of a Thousand Lanterns by Julie C. Dow. It's about Xi Feng. She's an 18-year-old peasant girl. She lives in the village with her aunt, Guma who is a witch, and her aunt reads it in the cards that Feng is going to be empress. Despite the fact that she's a peasant girl, she says, you know, one day you will be married to the emperor and you'll have great power and it'll be amazing. Uh, So she tells her, like, in order to achieve this, she must become cruel and callous and lock her heart against the boy she loves and use her inherited magic abilities ruthlessly. Like, she has some, some really strong magic, like, coursing through her veins, um, and so it would not be wrong to say that Xifeng is an anti-heroine. Um, it's basically a retelling of the evil queen story. Oh, cool. Yeah. There's some dark violence, but it's kind of delicious. Um, and the, the world building is phenomenal and the story is really strong and it moves really quickly. Um, this is the first book in the series. I gobbled it up in like two bites. I just absolutely loved it. And I can't wait to read more. So again, it is called Forest of a Thousand Lanterns, and it's by Julie C. Dow. All right. My last pick this week is a can't wait to read it soon. Uh, I just, man, it's been hard to get the reading time lately. And I have to confess, it's taking me forever to finish the new Dan Brown. So I'm like reading books for the show, trying to finish the new Dan Brown It's a little wild around here lately, but the book is All the Wind in the World by Samantha Mabry. She wrote A Fierce and Subtle Poison, which came out, I guess, last year. Um, And I really, really loved that. Just excellent YA books. Um, And this one was long listed for the National Book Award for Young People's Literature. Uh, It's about Sarah and James who have fallen in love while working the fields in a south, like somewhere in the Southwest in the near future. And it's not the real Southwest. It's like a little bit magical. Um, If you read A Fierce and Subtle Poison, you remember that story has a little bit of magic woven in throughout, a little magic realism. um, But there is also a lot of danger in this near future Southwest and a lot of secrets. And so Sarah and James have to um, work hard and they have to keep their relationship hidden from people who might use it against them. So they are settling down and they're saving money so that they can hopefully move away, but then something happens that sends them on the run and they have to start over. So that's the setup. I'm really excited to read it and find out more. Again, it's called All the Wind in the World by Samantha Mabry. I don't think that we both read A Fierce and Subtle Poison and loved it. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't think we mentioned this because I don't think I knew it. I don't know that you knew it. But it's a retelling of a Nathaniel Hawthorne short story called Rappaccini's Daughter. <gasps> you know what? I love Rappaccini's Daughter. And I just well, didn't make go. that connection I, I at all. I had no idea. <laughs> I think I learned that reading, oh, what was it called? Oh, I can't remember now. It's, it's, I've read so many books this year. All the titles have left my head. But the one that I read about <laughs> the, the daughters of, like, Jekyll and Hyde and... And oh, Frankenstein yeah. and stuff. That one, um, extraordinary something. I can't remember. Anyway, the, one of the the girls so is is the is Rappaccini's daughter in that story. And I was like, wait a minute, this sounds like a fierce and subtle poison. And I was not That's wrong. That's so funny. Yeah, Rappaccini's daughter. So I love Hawthorne is one of my favorites. I love The Handmaid's Tale. I love The House of Seven Gables. I love a lot of his short stories. Um, and Rappaccini's daughter was, I think, like the very first Hawthorne thing that I ever read in probably tenth grade. English, which was also just a really good year for me. But I love that story. I'm going to have to go back and read the story now and like remember it because that was a million years ago and think about A Fierce and Subtle Poison. There you go. I, You're just full of interesting tips. Yeah, except I can't remember any information like at all. <laughs> so I'm, you know, I'm trying to set my record this year for most books read, you know. Oh, yes. And it, there have been a lot of books in my head and it's starting I have no to just idea all mush how you do it together. <laughs> well, I don't it happens to me all the time where like somebody will be like, what, what have you read lately? That's good. And literally like, if I can't pull up my spreadsheet and look at the list, I can't tell you. That is what I'm doing right this very minute. I am looking at my spreadsheet, hoping that it jogs my memory. What that book was that I was trying to mention, but well, yeah, here's a question that you don't need a spreadsheet for. <gasps> what are you going to read next? The Strange Case of the Alchemist's Daughter. That's it. Ooh. That was the that was the book that brought it up. Well, before we talk about what we're going to read, can I just tell you about some more books that are out this week? Because Oh, yes, please do. Because for some reason, I read more books out in October than like any other month this year. When we got to October, well, I was like... there's a lot of good books out. Holy cats, I've read so many of these. So I just wanted to quickly rattle off a bunch that I think people will enjoy. And don't panic... You can look them up in the show notes. I know I talk fast. Um, But there's just so many good ones. I had to mention some more. Uh, There's some great story collections coming out. One is called The Funeral Makers. It's by Greg Ames, who wrote an amazing novel called Buffalo Lockjaw. He's hilarious. Check him out. There's Catapult, which is a collection of stories from Emily Friedland, who wrote History of Wolves, which came out at the beginning of this year. It's amazing. Uh, The Doll's Alphabet is out from Coffeehouse Press by Camilla Grudova. Really great. Coffeehouse also has another great book out this week called In the Distance by Hernan Diaz, which is about immigrants and stereotypes. Um, there's, if you like true crime, there's Black Dahlia Red Rose by Pew Eatwell, which is a, an interesting look at the case and a cover-up. Uh, there's The Nowhere Girls by Amy Reed, which is about rape, culture, and sexism. There's Wolf Season by Helen Benedict, which is about women and their different relations to war. There's Nightmare in Berlin by Hans Valuda and Here in Berlin by Christina Garcia. we got a couple of Berlin books going on. There's Three Floors Up by Eshkol Nevo, which is about the interconnected lives of people in a Tel Aviv apartment building. Uh, Alice Hoffman, Rules of Magic, the sequel to Practical Magic, which is actually like a prequel because it's about the aunts in the 60s. Lots of fun. There's Berserker by Emmy Laybourne, which is about Norse gods and powers and a family that has inherited them. And there is the Lou Reed biography by Anthony DeCurtis, which I love, 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 love. End of note this week is the new John Green, Turtles All the Way Down, which I have not read, but I saw this morning, like, hit a bunch of people's Kindles or something early. So everybody's been reading it. Um, So there's that. So there you have it. 
Okay, so now what are you going to go read next? Now, so I don't read much poetry, but my favorite contemporary poet is Matthew Dickman. He has a new book coming out. It is called, what is it called? Wonderland. It comes out in March of next year. Um, I absolutely love him, so I'm going to read that next. And then I'm going to read Cruddy by Linda Berry because I've never read it and so many people can't believe that. Um, I actually mentioned it to a friend and he immediately sent me his copy to read. And then Pete walked into my office the next day and was like, oh, Cruddy, I've read that. And I was like, even my boyfriend has read this. Can't even believe it. So what are you going to read next? Not fair. I am going to read Fire Sermon by Jamie Quattro. Um, she wrote nice. a collection of short stories I loved several years back called I Want to Show You More. Mm-hmm. And I think I said somewhere on the internet that the stories were so good, I kind of wanted to lick the book. And then they took that quote and it was like in the display ads for the book was the quote <laughs> yep. of me. But I stand by it. Those short stories are amazing. And uh, the book Fire Sermon comes out in January, but the galley showed up at my house a week or so ago, and I just keep looking at it. Like, I'm not going to be able to resist, so I think I should just give in and read it. Um, it's about a married woman in the grip of a magnetic affair, and uh, it has blurbs from Lily King and Jenny Offal, whose book uh, Department of Speculation is one of those looks at marriage, um, like sort of the twisty dark side of marriage that I really loved. I just can't wait. So I'm going to read it super soon. Fire Sermon. Nice. Also, that's just such a great title. Like, what is going to happen in this book? Yeah. So we've done it. Oh my goodness. I'm so ready for a nap. I don't even, I don't even know what I've done. For a second, I got confused because I thought you were talking about the Francesca Haig book. There's, she has one called Fire Sermon, which is like a, a oh. trilogy or something. Um, and now I'm looking up Fire Sermon by Jamie Quattro, and I want to read that. It's going to be so good. All right. Well, that's our show. We all, we both need naps. It's Monday. So thank you to our sponsors, to Third Love. Go to thirdlove.com slash books to get a free 30-day trial with one of their bras, to Libby from Overdrive, and to Life Detonated. We'll have links to all of these in the show notes. You can find Life Detonated wherever books are sold. Go to meet.libbyapp.com to check out Libby. And if you have something for us, you can email us, all the books at bookriot.com. If you do it through some other Book Riot email address, it will eventually find its way to us. But this is the direct route, all the books at bookriot.com. Talk to us on Twitter. I'm Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. Liberty is Miss Liberty. And if you've got a minute to rate or review the show on Apple Podcasts, that gives us a little treat, helps other readers to find their way to the show, which is definitely the big goal here. Uh, and we certainly appreciate it. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, in the meantime, happy happy reading. reading.